0: You're listening to the 103rd episode of Two Views Movies on the Boondock Saints. Sponsored by the Buffalo Funds. Want to ring the bell? All right. Ding, ding. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Two Views Movies Podcast, a spoiler-filled podcast from Kansas City, Missouri, by two guys who love watching movies almost as much as we love arguing about them. I'm Garrett. And I'm Carson. And we are in with a retro episode this week, something that uh, has been in our movie collections for 20 years?
1: At least, right? Nope. Not probably not, at least being as it came out twenty years ago. Yeah, twenty
0: years. (laughs) So what? What if you think about it though? Like, it was a movie, and this is what's really interesting about this movie is, uh, we didn't see it in theaters, and I I think it's safe to say that nobody saw this in theaters. Yeah, this
1: is definitely one that uh, I don't know. Does it get cult classic status? Yes, I think so. I, I agree. Uh, it's one of those that found in the the bargain bins, and people started talking about it, and it just kind of went. Yeah. Do you remember how we heard about this movie? Because I don't.
0: Nope. I don't either. It was like one day, it didn't exist, and then the next day, everybody was talking about it, and you could find like 20 copies of it in the little blockbuster bargain bin when you walked in the door.
1: Yeah. No, I just remember uh, if you mentioned it, people were like, yes, uh, I have seen that. That's awesome. Yeah you never heard anything about it unless you brought it up.
0: Yeah, I know. So crazy. So I'm I'm excited to, one, it's one of those movies that we watched all the time in high school slash early college. And then I probably haven't seen it in a solid 15 years, even though I, I know it like the back of my hand. So I was
1: really anxious to see how it held up. Um, so, And I'm even more excited to talk about it. It's, uh, it's one of my most quoted movies out there. And, <laughs> and there's a lot of those quoted movies, but there's, There's a lot of those, especially in our, uh, you know, GoldenEye, Halo games, Uh, lots of lines you could drop uh, from this one quite a bit.
0: Well, I think we've quoted Boondock Saints on this podcast at least, you know, seven, (laughs) eight times just with the symbology. Symbolism. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So if you haven't pieced it together by now, just from what we've been talking about, or you know, the intro that we have at the beginning of the episode, we are going to be talking the Boondock Saints today. Not all saints day. No, God, that was That's an abomination. Yeah, it really is. And that's what really made me wonder if this
1: one was really as good as I thought it was. So on that, how good did you think this was before we watched it again? Like if you had to guess your star rating before uh,
0: you set out. Uh, that's a really good question. Um, but before we get to that question, let let's do a little bit of house cleaning and then we'll dive in really quick. Today's podcast is sponsored by The Buffalo Funds, a family of mutual funds based here in Kansas City. When the stock market goes down, it may be a great time to contribute to your individual retirement account or IRA. Don't wait until the end of the year to get your free IRA investing report. Go to buffalofunds.com slash podcast. You can open up an account online directly with The Buffalo Funds and choose from their mix of U.S., international, dividend, or income funds. That's buffalofunds.com slash podcast. The funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses must be considered carefully before investing. The summary and statutory prospectuses contain this and other important information about the investment company and may be obtained by calling 800-492-8332 or visiting buffalofunds.com. Read carefully before investing. Mutual fund investing involves risk. Principal loss is possible. The Buffalo Funds are distributed by Quasar Distributors, LLC. So thank you, Buffalo Funds
1: and, and the Compliance Department.
0: Yeah. You got you know we are familiar with the financial industry. We we are aware of compliance and disclosures. So, it's no thing. And they're not cutting corners. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It's a small price to pay for having Buffalo Funds as a sponsor. So, if you listen to the show and you like our show and you want to help us, go visit buffalofunds.com. That will help them and us. So, I'd really want to dive into your question, but we're going to do our normal thing first. So, I'm going to give you the letterbox blurb do the rundown and then we're getting right into your question because i think that it's like is... a teaser question <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i think it's a, i think it's a hugely important question especially with the intro that we had about how much we watched it and stuff in high school so letterbox blurb with a god-inspired moral obligation to act against evil twin brothers connor and murphy set out to rid boston of criminals however rather than working within the system these irish americans decide to take swift retribution into their own hands directed by Troy Duffy, who really has only done this and Boondock Saints too. The cast, uh, a lot of no-names, but the ones that you would know or recognize, Willem Dafoe, Norman Reedus, Sean Patrick Flannery, and Billy Connolly, and then David Delarocco gets uh, a billing here because he is, he may get more screen time than almost
1: anybody else in this movie, I think, by the time it's all said and done. Yeah, I think people will recognize Daryl now more than anybody. Not more than Willem Dafoe. Oh, True. Willem Dafoe first, but yes, more than Sean Patrick Flannery. right? Because he changed his face. Yeah, he did. Like he looks nothing like he did in any of his movies. Yeah, I know it, it, it's
0: weird. It's 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 a it's a thing right now. We just you and I just talked on the side about
1: Famke Janssen doing that, and that he can go south really fast. Yeah, I, there, there's so many. Uh... So many examples of why not to do it. I don't know why people take that chance. <laughs> yeah, the risk-reward seems way off for something that permanent. Yeah, you can't you can't get, get that back, you know?
0: Right. All right, so back to your question. Where did I think I was at going into this movie? I probably would have said a four. What about you?
1: I, I think I was higher than that. I think I was, yeah, I mean, nostalgia w- was in there. Um, again, the quotable lines, I do love a lot that I can remember about it and I think I was four and a half could have even been a five just to get that nod Ooh. like I was I was wow. I was pretty high coming in
0: five I don't think this movie
1: ever got to a five even
0: like back in high school I don't think I, I mean I thought it was awesome but I mean if you're talking about you know similar movies that we had seen and I'm gonna you know loosely similar so The Professional uh, Reservoir Dogs you know those movies to me are worthy of potential fives as opposed to boondock saints, which
1: it's a different movie, you know, the way it sets it up, but also the fact that it was a diamond in the rough kind of, uh, I think really, really adds to the, again, the cult classic, the the coolness, I think of it, Of no, I, I found this movie on my own. It wasn't a big blockbuster that, you know, everybody was talking about. It was, uh, Oh, I found it on rack, gave it a chance and it was really good.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. There, There is a lot of coolness to that. But then it quickly became, it kind of reminds me of Lebowski in a way, where when you first heard about Lebowski, you felt like only a handful of people knew about it. But then at some point, it's like everybody in the world knew about it. it I mean, it's crazy that it grew like that with Boondock Saints. But I mean, it's definitely still a cult movie. But I think that that kind of wore off after just a couple of years because I felt like it just spread, you know, in a, in a, I'll say pre internet world where the internet was around but not as pervasive as it is today. I mean, it's crazy that a movie like that would just take off like it did. So yeah, I, I agree that there's a little bit of nostalgia there with like, hey, I found this in the blockbuster bargain bin. But then that, that kind of goes away after like three or four years once you realize everybody in the world has seen this apparently.
1: Well, and that's a little insight into the mind of Garrett Wright of when something goes mainstream, you're, uh, you're done with it. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's such a ridiculous I, quote. Uh, like what other example are you talking about? Uh, you just hate all things mainstream. And then once it goes mainstream, you're, you're done. You're just done. What In what world does that make sense? Exactly.
0: It doesn't, but that's the world you live in. The Matrix is my one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, that's clearly
1: mainstream. It is. I'm not saying all, all movies you have to feel that way. I just feel like that's that puts you in a little little nutshell.
0: I feel like you are making baseless claims right now with no evidence to back them up on this podcast and our listeners are gonna
1: demand more from you well, if I need to start putting a list together for our next podcast to to back up my claims i'm I'm happy to, yeah, hey, I think if you're gonna uh, throw a fastball high and tight, you need to be able to <laughs> to back that one up a little bit. I feel like if we ask all of our group of friends how you feel about mainstream anything, they'll have the same answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is ridiculous. Okay, I, I don't agree with this, but moving on. I think one of the things that you and I probably both really like about this movie, uh, setting aside the fact that it's you know very Punisher esque in the sense that it's you know vigilanteism, you know going crazy. There's two things I think that you and I both would probably appreciate. One is um, you and I are always a sucker for like religiously tinged movies where it's not overtly religious necessarily, but it's like, it's fueling the story a little bit in a cool way. And I think that's one thing that we've talked about before that we like. And I think the other thing is, and I don't think I've ever thought about boondock saints like this before, but I feel like it is a comic book origin story that it doesn't in the sense that you're seeing these guys, these brothers given some of these special abilities, I guess you might say, um, you know god given special abilities is what the movie's hinting at in there, and it feels like if Quentin Tarantino was to try and do some version of unbreakable like that's what this feels like when I watch it in hindsight. so those are two things that I feel I like that you might like what do you, what do you think about that? I could see that
1: what I didn't get is that uh coming into it, really think about it, this is a vigilante movie with no motivations um like there's no there's no my family was killed there's no something was done wrong to me and so I'm doing right. that there there's no there's really no reason why they do this no i mean
0: there's an initial trigger you know with what happens at the bar that starts all of this but then kinda yeah, kind of. Agreed. I i I agree with you. It's not your prototypical, there's a big bad guy that's bullying everybody in the neighborhood and we're going to go get him. I mean, I know there is like a crime syndicate that they're taking down, but their motivation really stems from you know the call from God that they get to go clean up their streets.
1: Yeah, and I think that that was really glossed over. And I think that's what appeals to high school Carson of get, <laughs> get past all that and get to cool, cool scenes. You know, and and I like the way that it, you know, showed the aftermath and they tried to guess what happened and then it showed you what really happened. You know, I think that appeal made this movie different. You know, without doing it that way, I think that's what made it stand out the way it did. Yeah, it definitely definitely made it different because that's not an approach
0: you normally see. So one thing that I wanted to ask you about, too, is did you feel shortchanged on the action scenes from what was in
1: your memory? No, I remember the action scenes pretty, pretty clearly. It was more the, uh, there's no discussion between the brothers at all of this is what we're going to do. They, they kind of mentioned it to Rocco later. Uh, but it being coming back to the motivations of why they're doing this, uh, or even, I mean, they haven't seen their, their dad in 20 years. And were they trained? to shoot guns i mean they never get into any of how they can be so good at this you know and everything just seems to be a a big question mark uh which i thought some of the some of it would have been answered along the way that i might have missed but it's really just uh it's kind of like a second it's it's almost like john wick and we don't really know much about him he just kind of is except we got the from zero to 60 and there's a gap in the middle of the movie. That makes sense.
0: My takeaway, the way I choose to read this, and I don't know if this is what Troy Duffy intended when he wrote this or what, but I like to think of it as that they were kind of anointed And, you know, when they're kind of baptized in the, wherever they're staying, I think it's a jail cell and the water's falling down and they hear their calling and they wake up. And at that point, they know that not only has God spoken to them to go do this and they both realize that, but that they're kind of given these abilities to go, you know, take action. And and basically they're given superpowers. I mean, that's a terrible way of saying it because they don't have that, but they're given the ability to shoot well from God (laughs) is like how I like to
1: read it okay i think just a quick conversation maybe in the jail cell between the two brothers you know might have that put them on this path i know i know they tried to have that again with Rocco but i think it just it, it was missing something of all of a sudden now they're they're calling the uh the pager and they they know they're going to go murder all these other guys
0: yeah i i get it i can see that I I like that it doesn't explain it because I feel like if it had explained it, it would have been very heavy-handed. And if they'd had a conversation about it, it would have felt very wooden and very stiff. And I I like leaving it to my imagination a little bit because that's one of the things I like about this movie is that this idea that there's these God-fueled, you know, vigilantes out there. And and even later in the movie when they're having, I, cause I couldn't remember exactly how this went down, but when they're having the shootout with Il Duce, I was like, oh, do they, do none of them get shot in this scene? Because they're all kind of protected by the same oath to God that they have. But then, you know, that went out the window because b- both boys got shot in that scene. But that's where my mind is at this whole movie is that these guys have this, you know, bubble of protection around them to go as long as they are, you know, weeding out truly bad people, they they won't be harmed while doing it kind of thing.
1: I hmm. see. I didn't, I didn't get that piece. I mean, Oh, I don't know that it's there.
0: <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know that that's what he intended. That's just how I like to, to read it.
1: And and the fact that I, I think that I knew that we were doing this podcast might've ruined my experience a little bit more because like from the opening scene, really of him jumping off a six story building, and he didn't really land on him. Oh, no. And so, uh, even if that would break someone's fall, he just jumped off six stories and was basically okay. Well, sure.
0: I mean, there's not a whole lot of sense of realism in this movie. I mean, they they drop down from a ceiling in a room full of guys. I mean, there's just... Well, I mean, that, you know, that could but, happen. I could see that. Sure. But I'm not going to hold... You know, the six story jump uh, uh, against this movie, because I I just don't think I mean, it's like a six million dollar movie or something like that. I mean, made in 1999, whatever. Have him jump (laughs) off the roof.
1: Well, and then you come to the why is the FBI there? I didn't get why Willem Dafoe was was called in. Uh, doesn't
0: he say when he first gets in there that he is the head of like the organized crime investigation and because it was Russian mobsters that got killed at the bar that he was investigating that because I think there had been a, a, a potential flare up coming up in in Boston. I, it's a couple of quick throwaway lines, but I think there's something like that going on. I might've missed
1: that, that have been right outside the alley, I guess, if that were to happen.
0: Yeah, whenever he first comes rolling in, that's that's when he says it. And he's alluding to, I, I know he says he's from organized crime, and that's why he's there. But I don't remember if there's, I, I feel like there's something there about the, you know, the, there's this potential mob war that's about to flare up, but maybe not. But even then, if it's just the, I'm from the organized crime division, they, they clearly establish with a little, you know, dossier thing that pops up on the screen that the Russian guys in the
1: bar were Russian mobs. So that's pretty much all you need so okay I'll let that one go I have another thing though on uh, okay uh, how quickly they're anointed saints and all of a sudden that they're this big media darling and then these cops are all rooting for them when it was basically an alley fight yeah yep That that's fast that's way too fast that should have happened after maybe like the second go around right the the Russian you know you slaughter all those people in the room and that's the saints yeah so- I, Agreed. I feel like that all, that's almost reminiscent of, uh, what, peppermint? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If only they had drawn a big mural on the wall. They may have. They may have missed that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, that that did stand out in, in the cop, in the jail scene where the cops are all talking. about. Because I think one of the first cops that they cut to says something like, oh, maybe they're just trying to clean up the city. And we're like,
1: wait, what? That's an awfully fast jump to that. <laughs> yeah. You, you already established that these guys were uh that looked like they were trying to be executed or whatnot and it was a uh, self-defense right and you said it's self-defense yet they're trying to clean up the city. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> the one thing I didn't quite understand either is the the boys walk into the police station and Willem Dafoe you know realizes that they're responsible for that first alley attack. And then I guess we're just supposed to believe that he thought that none of this was related after that, even though he makes a big stink later because nobody tells him about what Rocco did at the other bar because it's all related. But he never puts two and two together that the the Russians who got killed at the beginning in the alleyway were not killed by the same guy throughout the whole thing. Like he doesn't suspect the brothers the whole time. I just I I thought that was a little bit
1: weird. Well, on. I I thought that too. Uh but then it's like why would he though? If these two truly were self-defense, you know, why would you think that they would go after the rest of the mob and not just another mob war? Yeah, I,
0: I don't disagree with that at all. I just feel like if you're gonna make Willem Dafoe out to be the smartest FBI guy imaginable who can reconstruct scenes in a matter of minutes that he might at least consider the possibility that they w- could be suspects for some of this other stuff, especially when the next room that gets hit is Russians tied to the original Russians. You know, well, and
1: that's that. that was another thing that I had is they leaped, uh, the brothers leaped. I thought in saying how smart this guy was. Yeah, like he gave him really nothing to go on, and then say, yeah, this guy's really smart." It's like you guys are laying it on pretty thick. How how this is a good man, and he's he's really smart. Yeah. Like you don't need, you have nothing nothing on Willem DeFoe yeah. right now.
0: Yeah, this isn't spaceballs. You aren't watching the movie that we're watching. You don't get access to the same information. Like it was almost like they wrote that for the characters to regurgitate something you know, that they wanted the audience to hear about Willem Dafoe. But yeah, you're exactly right. There's no reason for those two to have because they had no interactions at that point. They're not hanging around the crime scenes watching Dafoe reconstruct everything. You know, <laughs> they don't know this guy from anybody. Yeah, other
1: than that initial, you know. Interaction in the cop station. I mean, it makes sense for for Willem to say, "Hey, these guys are really smart or whatnot," because they speak what ten different languages. You know, in that meeting with them, yeah. But it's them that come away with this guy's awesome. It, it'd be different if Willem started talking <laughs> in one of the languages at least. You know, yeah. does it, you know I, I know what you are saying. He says it in French or whatever, uh, and at least could track through a couple different languages. Then they might you know have that mutual respect. But Willem didn't really do anything other than, "Oh yeah, you are free to go." Yeah, agreed. You're, you're right on that one. Okay.
0: So I want to get back to one of the questions that I asked you a little bit ago, and that was about the action scene. So if you said that the action scenes were pretty much as you remembered them. I would say that there was a lot less actual action than what I thought there was. Like, I knew that they cut away and they came back, but I thought when... They they re entered the scene so when they finally show you what the brothers are doing that there was more shootout than what there really was. And, and given it in the later parts, like the, the big firefight and then <laughs> a, like one other scene, they they actually do show you a little bit more, but it was far less gunfire than what I actually thought was in the movie.
1: Yeah, and I, I remembered that that it's not that much action. Because even the so the alley scene, there there's really nothing. At all it's mm-hmm. him landing on him and then hitting him with a the top of the toilet the uh the bar fight is next to nothing the mm-hmm. Rocco shooting people is nothing even the the spinning in the Russians is just them spinning mm-hmm. uh yeah that's the, nothing. the coolest thing about we'll go back to that scene later, but then yeah the the there was a firefight <laughs> 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 I love that line it, well it's I don't understand why Willem is. Declothing clothing during that 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 whole scene. <laughs> he is a complete mess. He is a complete mess in that I, scene. I don't understand. <laughs> I, I, I've never understood that. I didn't get it this time. I just, why is all of a sudden he losing all articles of clothing? Um, and maybe when he flipped out that he couldn't figure it out, like became disheveled, but during his walk through the scenes, it didn't make sense to me. But, yeah, I agree. Um, but no, that was a I mean, yeah, there's not a lot of action-action in it, I guess. Right. Um, but I didn't really feel like it's a John Wick-type movie. Right. Agreed.
0: I, I I knew it wasn't that level. I just thought there was more... Because if you think about The Professional, I, I feel like it's kind of in the same vein. I know I mentioned that earlier, but there's not a whole lot of crazy gunfights in The Professional, despite it being a movie entirely about an assassin. So I, I would... And I haven't seen the professional in years either, so now I'm wondering
1: if I go back and watch that, is it even less than what I remember, even though I know it's not a yeah, lot? Yeah, it's it's definitely not a lot. Yeah. It's basically him and Matilda. So I wanted to go back to the uh the scene in the room with the uh, the Russians spinning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that scene is made by the rope and the knife. Oh, sure. And so without that conversation beforehand and then showing that they use them both. uh, I think the rest of that scene is, is
0: dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say the other thing that ties it in too is because, you know, they're knocking each other. He, uh, Norman Reedus keeps calling Sean Patrick Flannery, uh, Charlie Bronson. And then you have Defoe coming in when he's reconstructing the scene. And he openly says, this is from bad TV. That's what they think this is. So without those, you're right. Without the conversation about the knife, and Rope and without him calling him Charlie Bronson and then uh, Defoe bringing that full circle by just flat out saying that, you know, it's a bad TV, bad movies. Uh, th- that whole scene sucks.
1: <laughs> right. uh, I did like uh, I think I liked Rocco more now than I did in the past. Really? I liked how he was like his story is what moves it along because he's the one who set up like they they threw him to the wolves. I'm not saying the actor. I mean, I mean the actor's oh, yeah. fine, but the, the the Italians sent him in there, you know, with, with six bullets, uh, and they knew that he had to do something. Uh, and then the other guys that were saying, "Yeah, we kept our mouths shut because that was a test." Yeah, you know, all that. Uh, I like that side side plot a lot more now than I remember liking.
0: Yeah, the side plot is good. The actor and the performance got to be a little annoying to me, just because I feel like. It, it it it's not just him this movie feels like a dude bro wrote it and i'm pretty sure a dude bro did write it right? <laughs> but that they had all these like all these random ideas of things that they thought would be cool and some of them actually are really cool and then some of them that they were just trying to be abrasive just to be abrasive. And we know what scenes they are, right? It's Rocco's joke. It's what Willem Dafoe calls his, you know, boyfriend while they're in bed. There's things like that that the only reason they're in there is because somebody either knew that it was going to be abrasive or it was going to, you know, poke you in the eye while you watch it kind of thing. And Rocco is like that to me where... He gets some of those jokes. He gets some of these other lines where they they had the idea. You and I talk about this a lot. You had the idea of this cool scene, and you don't really know how you're going to get it in there, but you know you want it in there because you've been thinking about it for a long time and laughing about it, and you think it's the greatest scene ever, so you just shove it in there. And then it just kind of comes off as, oh, okay, I guess that's there kind of thing. That's how I felt about Rocco a lot in this movie. There's Sometimes I really
1: liked him, and there's sometimes where I'm like, ugh, shut up. Well, I think you're supposed to feel that way. Probably. I feel like you're supposed to not like Rocco because you can understand why everything's happening to him the way that it does. Yeah. But also like the character, like he's, he's likable why they got the brothers like him, but also he's annoying and why an organization would not like him. Yeah.
0: agreed. I just see him as an extension of the director. Who's also the writer who is trying to shoehorn some stuff. in because he thinks it's cool and funny and sometimes that works and
1: sometimes it doesn't. And that's Rocco in a nutshell for me in this movie. So I have a question on Willem Dafoe's character. Mm-hmm. Do you think they started with the no women, no children and worked their way backwards from him being a cross dresser through the movie? Uh, that's why he didn't get popped in the back of the head. Cause he was just like a woman. Um and then and then tried to backfeed the character? No. I don't think so. I
0: I feel like I I would love to to see an interview with him. I think there's a whole documentary on on the writer and director of this about how <laughs> this movie became what it was and all the story behind it, but I feel like there was two main things in this movie and it was the idea behind the saints themselves. And it was Willem Dafoe because his character is way too central and way too fleshed out to have been something that you kind of like back into. I I feel like, I feel like they had that idea pretty solid and went with it. I don't think they backed into it.
1: So, and you may have a different experience, but this, so him in bed with his boyfriend or whatever that, that is was the probably the first on screen gay couple, I guess in bed that I remember seeing ever. Mm-hmm. And then their interactions always confused me. And then even him dress, cross dressing at the end confused me of, of why any of that <laughs> happened. You know, like I I don't I don't get the why or why that was his plan or any any of Willem Dafoe's antics at the end. I I didn't get. Um, yeah, to like if you air that today, it's a different different kind of movie, right? You know, twenty years later. But I remember that being like, I just don't understand what's going on right now because, you know, he's like he doesn't like this guy that's in bed with him, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, he, you know, he's he's denying that that he is he denying that he's gay. I, I right. don't I don't understand any of that. uh And again, that being one of the first movies that. That I saw that had that along with it. It was just, I was thrown off a bit by the whole what is he doing? What right. who is this character?
0: Yeah, that's a tough read for for that situation we you know when you're you know 17 18 years old <laughs> whatever it is but i mean now i actually because i always remember that that line sticking out i mean it's a pretty memorable scene if you see that when you're 17 or 18 for the reasons that you said but now when i see it it actually plays out pretty funny like i got a good laugh out of that because it's such an absurd thing for him to say but it's it, <laughs> it, it lands for some reason to me And i, I don't know why
1: no oh, no i it was just I'm trying. I was just trying to put myself in the, the who is Willem Dafoe? You know, yeah. Of of what are they trying to do here? And I I just I still can't quite wrap my whole hands around what he is, what he's doing. You know, oh. what, what kind of character this is? Oh, but- I see. I don't have a
0: problem with it now. I I think I was that. I would think I was in the same exact boat as you back in high school when we first saw it. But now I I don't have a. I mean it, it I get it I, I don't really have any questions about about
1: his character I mean is he a cross dresser or did he just decide that that was his way into the house? Oh well, I mean, I don't know his
0: motivations for that because they don't really explore that I mean, your guess would be as good as mine. I think you could probably go
1: down either of those paths that you want to go down, yeah, well again his I just didn't i was i kept trying to piece him him together, and i couldn't I kept looking for different clues that I might have missed growing up and I still didn't come to any conclusions. <laughs> so then what did you think about Willem's performance overall? It It's so over the, especially, I mean, the firefight, I mean, that, that just pushes him over the lines. Like, I don't understand why, again, why he's sweating and shedding clothes and firing his gun into the air on a crime scene. <laughs> like it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, or like this. This isn't a real life character. Like everybody else seems somewhat grounded. And, and he is so extreme that, that his progression is just so, so it's not even a progression. It's just weird. I, I love it. I, I absolutely, <laughs> I, I loved
0: his whole performance in the whole movie because it, whether it's the interaction with the other cops, he's always making that one guy go get coffee for every yeah, answer I, he gets wrong.
1: I love that with the other cops, you know, yeah.
0: all, all of that, that that's great. But even the firefight, yeah, it's so ridiculous. But God, it's so great too, right? Like I, I can't even put my finger on why I love it so much. And then he calmly collects himself after he's flailing in the bushes and finds the finger. And then in the end, he's teaming up with the Saints to help them, you know, go get that the you know Rocco's boss. Like everything about his character works for me. And really, I would I would like this movie significantly less if Willem Dafoe wasn't in it. And I really can't imagine any other person being in that role. And I've seen some of the names that were rumored to have been cast in this movie for all the different roles and some of the ones specifically
1: for that role. And I, I can't even remotely begin to fathom that. And no, I, I agree with you. I don't think anybody could have, could have done this half as good as what he did. And even when he's, you know, digging around the guy's skull and then he puts his, his hands in his hair and the other cops like Ooh, your, your hands are covered <laughs> yeah. in this guy's brains and you just put them in your hair. You know, all of that. I, I, I love I love his character. I think the firefight scene really throws me off. Like, I just don't get it. I don't get how he got from A to B, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so, and so that, that, that was always, a, I mean, that, that line, um, you'd be surprised how often that line comes up, uh, that you can throw into everyday life. Of there was a firefight. <laughs>
0: um, it only works if up. you drop to your knees with your tie, loosened up and sweaty and firing a gun in the air. Shirt sure, unbuttoned. Yeah, I like your take on it, though. I'm kind of interested to go back and rewatch the little lead up to that because you're right. He is getting annoyed at his lack of ability to to put together that last bit of chaos in that room, and I wonder if that's really what what drives him to that. But otherwise, again, if it's not that, I truly think it's just the writer and director being like, "Hey, this is cool. I want him to scream. It, there was a firefight and shoot his gun in the air because I think that would be really cool." And and I will say that. They ratchet everything up in that last, I shouldn't say last, but the Il Duce fight because every other time you see Willem Dafoe explaining what's happening, you're flashing back to just what happened. And then this time when he tells what happened, he flashes back, but he's in the flashback. So he's you know walking through the garage with the Saints. He's kneeling down next to Rocco, acting like he's shooting the gun. So I feel like it was just more of this like he's getting more and more into his ability to solve the crime and all stuff. So like, it, it feels fine to me that he's going
1: completely nuts in the front lawn. Well, I'm okay. Uh, I I really like that. He's in the scene now as he's walking through it, you know, that, that was really mm-hmm. cool. You know, the the kneeling and, and everything, um, it's just had, I think it's just the fact that his his shirt's unbuttoned and his tie's undone, and I don't know how that got that way, even <laughs> while walking through a scene, you know. And and I would get it again right because he was still telling the story, and he didn't get really frustrated until after, like the the ammonia, you yeah, know, the ammonia set him uh, off. And, and so so that that's what then he can be disheveled, you know. I just don't get, and maybe they shot shot those out of sequence, <laughs> and they go, no, we really like him, I already like this you know, and doing the firefight, but I just, I I just, I didn't the connection from from A to B. I'm just not there. So that's, that's my critique on his whole character. I think is right there in that scene of he got real weird, real fast. (laughs) I love it. It's perfect. That's what you need
0: in a $6 million low budget movie uh, that didn't do good in theaters. You
1: need a, you need that classic Defoe performance to send it truly into cult status. But he was so, nuance uh, and he had i think he had a standout performance outside of that you know what was just everything that he was he was doing you know regardless of the uh the firefight scene so okay do you like the firefight scene but you just have
0: some issues with it or do you not like it because of the issues you have with it
1: i like the firefight scene except for <laughs> really defoe God, I, so you're, and, and, I, and to say to folks, I, li- I like all the, everything leading up to it, and the firefight just doesn't. I just picture him with the other cops around him, you know, without the shootout, and none of yeah. it makes any sort of sense whatsoever. Yeah, but that's awesome. I mean, I, <laughs> that, that almost <laughs> makes it even more better to
0: me to picture that there's nothing, nothing else happening, and they're just watching this guy drop to his knees, screaming, "It was a firefight," and shooting his gun in there. That almost makes it better to me.
1: There was a fire fight. Yeah, I just don't <laughs> understand. Uh, so yeah, so that that took a little bit away, but also, uh, the dad is a whole lot less cool now. Oh, il Duce?
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's basically Leon and John Wick rolled into one with the whole ties to the mob and no women, no children and all this kind of stuff. But, but the actor they
1: chose, the second teacher and head of the class, yes. you know, yeah. uh, it, it's um, I, I never really I don't think I ever really liked him in that role, but right. he really bothers me uh, watching it again.
0: Yeah, so I actually did some reading on this movie, and you know in the firefight scene when he's got that big cigar hanging out of his mouth? All right. I don't know if this is true or not. I mean, it's just something I read, but uh, they said that he had to have that big cigar in his mouth because he enjoyed being in that scene so much because he knew it was so against type for him that he couldn't stop smiling the whole time that he was filming the scene. So they put a cigar in his mouth to give him something to hold in his mouth. So he couldn't sit there and smile the whole time. <laughs> I don't believe that. Uh, I mean, I don't, either, I mean, I believe sort- it, I believe yeah. it,
1: but, but at the same time, come on.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree that there was and anybody listening should go read up on boondock saints. Cause I didn't know much of the backstory on this movie, but I guess when it was written, it, like everybody wanted to buy it script wise. Like it led to a bidding war in Hollywood and there was tons of hype around it. And I think Miramax ended up buying it for $300,000 and they signed him, you know, Troy Duffy to write and direct it. And then I guess he's just like a grade a jerk. Um, and ended up Miramax, not, they gave him like a $15 million budget, but then something fell out and then he had to go to this other company for 6 million. But they had, um, Keanu was talked about for one of the brothers. Um, I know Swayze's name was mentioned, Kenneth Branagh was mentioned, both of those guys for uh, the Defoe role. Um, I'm trying to remember who some of the other guys were that were mentioned, but he was basically shooting down any of the big name guys. But I guess this movie was just in development hell. And then I didn't know this, but the reason why it didn't have a good theater run is because theaters refused to show it because it, it was supposed to come out right around the time of Columbine. Interesting. Yeah, so theaters just flat out refused to show it. And I guess that's... So it didn't really get a second life on DVD because it did bad in theaters. It's almost like it wasn't given a chance to be good in theaters. And then everybody caught on to it afterwards. So I guess it had a ton of hype. Like Basically, the way I think about it is like, you know, in today's world you and I would have probably known about this movie. We would have heard that there's this movie in development with all this stuff going on and big script, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But in, you know, back in ninety nine that just you know, unless you read like, you know, Variety or the Hollywood Reporter, you wouldn't have known that. But just crazy to think how that all comes together and you know, all the different names that could have been attached to this. But the one funny thing I thought of, though, was that in all the articles I read, there was never an article that said, oh, this was supposed to be Il Duce, not Billy Connolly. It's like, it was always (laughs) Billy Connolly. And I don't understand why.
1: Yeah, if this was released now, it uh, would have had six or seven teaser trailers before it got cut from theaters. Oh, yeah. So we would, have, we would have known, you know, a year and a half in advance that this was being made. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed the movie. I, I liked
0: it. It it has a lot of influences. My God, it has so many. We've talked about some of them, but there's Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, uh, Leon. It's got a little bit of the John Woo movies, you know, like Hard Boiled and stuff like that kind of wrapped into there. So there's – you can kind of just feel all of them coming together, and I just – I wish that it hadn't lost its 15 million dollar Miramax budget and dropped down to like a 6 million dollar budget cuz you can feel the cheapness in this movie like the transitions are a little rough and the the writing on the screen just feels weird the score which I guess Duffy that's his band that did that like there's things about this movie that if it just had felt a little bit more polished it could have gone you know
1: much much further I agree that it it's a little rough um and I'm I'd like to know what a um experienced director would have done and mm-hmm. if i would have even uh even liked it right i mean it's a vigilante movie so i'm probably going to like it but <laughs> sure. uh, j- just throwing that out there but it uh, uh would it have been you know just one of the other ones i know i told you this through text
0: the other day but it it has a pool hall junkies vibe to it in the sense that it's cheap. You can tell it's cheap, and you can tell that the guy put his own ideas in there. You know what I mean? Like, There's things in there that feel shoehorned. It's a much better movie than Pool Hall Junkies. Do not. <laughs> Don't get around. I think I gave Pool Hall Junkies like a one or a one and a half, and this is not that. But you know what I mean, right? Like When you watch a low-budget movie, you can tell it's low-budget, and that's kind of what Boondock Saints is, whereas it needed a little bit more of a push to get up into like that Indie, Quentin Tarantino, early Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction feel where those movies didn't cost a a ton of money, but they don't feel like
1: dirt cheap movies either. No one listening knows pool hall junkies even exists. (laughs) Uh, I'd be thoroughly surprised if anybody's ever heard of that movie. Wow. So okay.
0: So if anybody listening has seen Pool Hall Junkies, then you need to tweet us at Two Views Movies or leave us a comment on Facebook and let us know what you thought about Pool Hall Junkies because I don't know what, maybe a year or two before we started this podcast, we, we watched Pool Hall Junkies with uh you know, the, the man who will not appear on the show but is always named Larson, and we <laughs> we got a good laugh about that movie.
1: So we got introduced to this by it was a, a an employee of mine who said it was his favorite movie. And that's crazy and you can't find it anywhere so m- m- this guy he bought it for me and, and so i watched him like i don't understand i don't understand how this is your favorite movie at no all. no and, and <laughs> i could understand it if it was
0: for humor reasons like you're laughing at it i could maybe nope. get behind that but no if it's your real favorite movie uh, there's something wrong you don't want <laughs> something wrong movies. with you
1: right yeah <laughs> have you seen one movie and this is it and thus your favorite movie <laughs> right. yeah
0: are you really obsessed with pool because your your options are limited there but i mean you at least got like the he, color He was of a pool guy stuff,
1: or... he, he, okay. he did like he did like pool and not that there's a lot of pool in this but it's uh it's basically rounders a bad rounders uh yeah yeah that's true and there's our there's our review of pool hall junkies <laughs> you get a bonus a bonus right. track today folks oh man
0: alright I think I'm running out of things to say <laughs> me too alright let's get to our questions
1: I am Thor son of Odin. as long as there is life in my breast
0: I am running out of things to say are you ready
1: so what'd you rate it I demoted it a little bit from my, uh, my previous from five? expectations yes uh, I ended up going with the three and a half right on I think it's definitely above average movie uh, for me I enjoy watching it it's it's quotable I think a lot of people should watch it I think there are definitely a lot of things I would uh, I would improve um, if remaking and uh, or if I were in the director's chair and I think it, it does leave a lot of things open and I'd like to think that uh, All Saints Day doesn't hurt it, Um, but but I think it does a bit of showing you how bad the director actually is, and he kind of had a one-hit wonder. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I actually agree with everything you said, because I'm at a three and a half
0: as well. I I don't think... I find it hard to believe that if you didn't see this in 99-ish, whenever 99, 2000 if you didn't see it then i I don't know how much you're gonna think about this movie because i don't know that it does enough unique things to really make itself feel bigger than the low budget that it has so i I think this hinges a lot on did you see this when it came out back in the day or maybe even in the several years following but if you're just visiting this for the first time i I don't i don't know that you're going to find a lot of things that you haven't already seen whereas when you see it when you're 18, it's the first time you've kind of seen a few of these things like this, then I think it, it resonates a little bit more. So um, it would definitely be very interested to hear some people go watch this for the first time and hear what they think versus the people
1: that have, you know, had it in their collection for a while. Have you ever watched this with somebody when uh, that was their first time watching it?
0: Oh, I mean, I'm me- sure you I have remember? throughout
1: the Throughout the years, I mean, surely we had right because I,
0: I feel like out of our group of friends and everything, you and I were probably one of the first ones to see it. You and I were the ones that were going to Blockbuster and just randomly buying movies out of the bargain bin there. So, I mean, uh, surely we had to have seen it with some of our friends for the first time.
1: I remember uh, recommending this movie to a lot of people, and I remember sitting there like on the couch watching them, hoping that they react to a certain scene like I did. You know, yes, yeah, so, one get of the it? um sometimes. You know, yeah. it's like uh, like each line that I was waiting for them to, to get that I that I quote a lot or or, or just did different scenes. I wanted them to, oh, that was really cool. That was really funny. And I don't think I ever got that reaction. But I remember I always recommended of you want a diamond in the rough. You go watch, you know, Boondock Saints.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and there's no
0: worse feeling as somebody who loves movies than giving out a recommendation and somebody coming back and being like, eh, it yeah, it was fine. It was okay that's kind of like uh my friend casey uh i recommended
1: whiplash to her and she watched it and she's like yeah it's
0: fine i'm like what are you talking about it's fine it's whiplash
1: and yeah that i i agree with a lot of her stances but definitely not that one (laughs) yeah and i will say that i get that with la la land all the
0: time like almost everybody i tell to go watch la la land they're like yeah it's fine i'm like i I don't want to talk to you anymore (laughs) we are no longer friends (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) all right what was your favorite moment
1: My favorite moment is him talking about the rope, and then (laughs) then uh, in the armory or in the vent itself. uh, I'm I'm kind of connecting the two, but starting in the armory, and you know, and then him calling him out for being Rambo, you know, and then fine, get your rope, you know, you know, and then them using the rope like like that tied together. I think that's that's my favorite in the movie. Yeah, that's good. About you. (laughs)
0: Well, uh, you're not going to like it, but my favorite moment is actually (laughs) Defoe screaming it was a firefight because it's so (laughs) iconic and I just, I I love it for all the reasons why. Because Defoe is probably my favorite part about this movie. Like when I was younger, it would have been, you know, the the random gun scenes or Rocco or something like that. But now I just, I love Defoe throughout the whole movie. And that is the culmination of all things Defoe in this movie is him screaming that. So. That's my favorite moment. Wow. Yep. Wow. <laughs> you just kept beating so, it down and beating it down. I was like, yep, here we go. <laughs> Kinda, <yeah. laughs> I think
1: I've said all I need to say on that. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> so what would you change in this movie? So there's a lot that you could change. And I, thi- I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole of trying to change something with a story or change a character or anything like that. So I tried to say, okay, if I have this movie, like... You know it's me, I'm sitting right here with this movie what's what's something maybe I could change to make this movie better with all only what I have right now and i I would have edited it better um like I don't mind the jumping back and forth about um you know we we skip ahead we have Defoe walk through it and we cut back that's fine. it's more about some of the transitions are really really rough and harsh like there's some times where it's almost like he doesn't know how to get from scene to scene and he just fades to black right and then comes back and i mean that's okay to do every once in a while but there's that happens like three or four times and even some white flash editing that he does it's just i felt the movie needed uh, you said this earlier but if he just was a little bit more of a competent director and he could have had a little bit more direction better on the editing i think this movie could have stood up a little bit better on its own but there's there's some really rough editing and i noticed it also um In the Russian scene where they've got the guy kneeling, the camera's like spinning, but he's also cutting back and forth like three and four times. And in the very beginning, too, you know, when they're working in the uh, meat factory or whatever, there's just these really harsh edits between let's jump to the brothers. They say one sentence of dialogue, and then we cut back out to a cityscape. And then we go right back in, and they say two more lines, and we cut back out to a cityscape. I was like, God, settle down. Like, what is happening here? So long story, but what I would say is better editing would have helped this movie a lot. Editing,
1: you go yes. editing.
0: Yep, that, that's where I went. I I boxed myself in
1: on purpose. So, um, what about you? What do you got here on this one? I went for more of a progression to the assassins slash sainthood. Mm-hmm. Of uh, it seemed too abrupt. Uh, again, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but it was. Uh, it seemed all of a sudden we're doing this now with no with no real. Again, conversation, I, I don't need the motivation so much. I'm okay with them just thinking that's, you know, their calling um, yeah. or uh, I'm okay with that, but mention that. And I know they get, they drop it in with the, the sermon at the beginning and whatnot, uh, but to have some sort of conversation or at least push off the sainthood from the public and the police until later, more deserved. Yeah. So what, yeah, one of those types of think- things, making
0: them like that. I think you probably could have given up one of the fights. I mean there's several um not fights but like uh gun moments where you could probably have just taken one of those and and made it more helped it towards the progression a little bit more instead of just having it be yet another gunfight that willem dafoe tries to solve without furthering the story of the saints any because they just really like you said they they ratchet that up so fast and they just drop the saints angle and then they they bring it back in the very last one in the courtroom where they're revealing themselves to the world but you haven't really i don't know it just it really went fast awkwardly like it like you said in the first one it jumps up really fast and they just let it go for the whole rest of the movie and they bring it back at the very end
1: nope i agree with you um so what would be your casting change and i think i know <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing. I, know who we're, we're you're, going I don't know who you're putting thing. in, but I think but, but I don't know who you're taking out.
0: Well, so this one's a little bit of a challenge, right? Because I mean, assume we're both taking out Billy Connolly. Um, Correct. But you can't take somebody from 2019 and go put them in a 1999 movie. I had that same problem. Right. So you have to go back to the 90s and then try to sort out who's around then that you would like to put in there. And I ended up landing on Brendan Gleeson, uh, from In Bruges. But he was also back in the day, and you know, MI two came out around the same time. He's in uh, Braveheart, obviously, so he he was around back then, not as big as he is now, but I he's Irish, clearly. <laughs> so I just felt like that would have fit pretty well. I was good with that.
1: I uh, he. He was one that I, when I searched Irish actors, uh, I was like... Uh, I was like I was that like, is the
0: hard-hitting knowledge you get on Two Views Movies <laughs> podcast. We go out and we Google Irish actors to figure out who we would put in this role. <laughs> to act
1: as an Irishman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I found out that uh, that he wasn't even Irish. He was Scottish. Who, Brendan? No, no, no. Uh, oh, Billy? Billy. Ah. Yeah. I think I knew that. How I knew that I that? knew that from head of the class once I saw it, but uh yeah, but he was obviously playing an, an Irish guy here. so who'd you get then? So after I did not like any of those choices that I saw on Irish or uh Scottish, I went with uh, Redker Hauer. Oh, okay. I thought he could be more of a badass if you locked away and he'd do really dirty stuff for the mob, and you lock him away again. See, but the problem with Rutger Hauer is the Powers Booth rule. He's always bad. Which is fine. He's supposed to be bad. Well, that, that's he's supposed to initially what, be bad. That's what makes it great. Yeah. Because you're setting him up as a bad guy, unless you're talking Lady Hawk. but you're setting him up as a bad guy, and then he turns, oh, he's the dad, and like, oh, there's the twist. Yeah, but then he's not that believable as a, a as their a dad. dad, assassin you, dad.
0: You, 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 you don't want to root for him. Like Billy Connolly, you can get behind. Brendan Gleeson, you can get behind. Rutger Hauer, you're like, oh crap, they're all bad guys now. Which god are they praying to? That, that's what you <laughs> ask yourself if Rutger Hauer is doing this.
1: It's on Latin. I can't tell. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I say I almost went the the king beyond the wall, um, but he uh, okay. he was not old enough. He did not hit my born in the 40s range that I was looking for. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Which we didn't
0: touch on the whole twist ending about Il Duce being the kid's dad. And I, you know, I'm kind of iffy on it. I think I thought it was cool when I was a kid. And now I'm just kind of like, eh,
1: I don't know. Maybe this would have been better had it not gone that route. Yeah. And they've only let him out three times, and they let him out within. Somehow he gets paroled in a day.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I remember like they cut and they show him in the jail and everything, and all of a sudden they cut to the rubber stamp parole granted. And I was like, Well, wait a minute. How how easy is it for the mob to get a guy out of jail like that? They made that seem really simple.
1: All right. Yeah. It was uh no no parole board or anything. He's just out. He's done, and here yep. he is. And <laughs> I mean it it's okay that he's I mean, he's showing that they were raised like that, I guess. Yeah. But they didn't even recognize their own dad. Yeah. So that he would be like that.
0: And I think that's the problem I have with it, is like you didn't really and I get it's supposed to be a twist ending or whatever, but like you didn't even mention that I mean they didn't have parents because it's not like you know there was ever a need to show their parents in this movie and they, I don't know. Like at least if you're gonna play that angle, maybe you drop a few clues where you can be like, oh, but then it just seems sort of random
1: when it's thrown in at the end. Yeah, well you're you're leading to my my award. Okay, so go ahead and take it away then. What's your award? Uh, worst,
0: badass, dad. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I'd have to go back and try and
1: see some of the crappy dads that have tried to be, you know, cool in movies. Well, tried to be cool, but then the movie's supposed to be making him cool. You know, there's a difference. I mean, I
0: I will say for all things, though, I mean, it is pretty crazy that Billy Connolly, of all people, was decked out in this vest with six guns in and he's just, (laughs) you know, shooting left. I mean, I I think I would have liked to have seen somebody else in there clearly, but I, I don't think he was bad. I thought El Duce was actually kind of a cool character.
1: Character, but not not him.
0: Well, right. But your award was more about the character as opposed to him.
1: Well, it's him playing that character. He's supposed to be a badass, but it didn't come across that way to me.
0: Uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, at least I think the the introduction of him was really good, and the firefight was really good. Um, you know, once he's not in hat and glasses and stuff, and you can see his face, and the jury, then, then it starts to falter a little <laughs> bit. But when you can hide the fact that it's Billy Connolly for a little bit, then it actually is pretty cool. I think.
1: <laughs> so, what would you go with?
0: Uh, I went with my favorite Willem Dafoe performance. It's not his best, Over Green Goblin. I think it's, I think it's. You know my stance on the <laughs> Rainy movies. Why are you even bringing that up? You almost got me to drop the f bomb right here on our <laughs> podcast. No, it's my favorite Willem Dafoe. Not not best because I I like him better in like Steve uh, Steve Zissou and uh, Grant Budapest. And there's other movies I think he's he's better in. But I think this is my favorite Willem Dafoe performance. Platoon. Yeah, no, I, I like the, I like I like the quirky Defoe because when I when I think of Willem Defoe, I always think of, and maybe it's because of Boondock Saints that I think about this. I always think of like off kilter and just a little bit not normal and goofyish a little bit. And I think this just plays right into that. And it very well could be that this is a self fulfilling prophecy because I saw this in high school, maybe one of the first Defoe movies I really saw. Well, not true because I saw it Clear and Present Danger and some other stuff. But anyways, yeah, I, I feel like it might be self fulfilling prophecy, but I am going to take it. Favorite Willem Defoe performance.
1: And even after seeing Aquaman. Uh,
0: especially after seeing Aquaman, because he didn't do anything except stand there with a man button the whole time.
1: They wasted. They wasted all things him.
0: Yep, agreed.
1: Um. All right, so
0: last one. If you like this movie, you would also like. I truly struggled with this one, because. Really? I had a lot of options to go with. Well, then I'll let you lead.
1: Well, no, I want to hear what you say. I wonder if we ended up on the same one. See, you know, I was looking for we mentioned vigilante movies mm-hmm. and I felt like all of them, like there's vigilante movies and then there's assassin movies. And I feel like this is a vigilante movie, but it feels more like an assassin movie because they don't have any motivations,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? And so, but then the I was trying to bounce back and forth between, is it the type of movie? Um, because if you go vigilante, you know, you can go, You know, Man on Fire, Punisher, you know, things like that uh, down that route. Peppermint, if you will. Um, But then if you go the Assassin movie, you're looking at, you know, the professional. um, Things like down that route. But then you sort of get the style. And none of those have the same humor aspect that this does. Uh, I couldn't find one that, that truly fit the... The humor and then the way the the clever storytelling I really thought what makes this movie is the fact that they did the the fight scenes after the the explanation agreed I, I think that's that's the defining factor and I really couldn't find something that matched storytelling that way and so my I mean my cop-out was man on fire but I don't even like it, it doesn't even fit <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Man on Fire is an awesome movie, but it has it doesn't even fit.
0: Yeah, and I I think you could have. I, I had a lot of different options too. And I I think you can sell it on most of that, but like I, I felt I started off in the Quentin Tarantino realm because this movie just feels like Tarantino light. But the the closest one I could get to that was Reservoir Dogs, and that just didn't feel quite right to me. So I ended up landing on Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels because. This also feels like that Guy Ritchie kind of kinetic energy in a movie, but also, you know, a little bit loose with its storytelling. And there's some different things happening. And while it's, and I wouldn't, I don't know that you would ever really call Lockstock an action movie, just like I don't think you really call Boondock Saints an action movie, but it's got action influences and there's things happening on screen there. So that, that's what I went with. I figured. You'd have a good chance of liking Lockstock
1: if you like Boondock Saints. I could see that. I don't think they're comparable, but I think most people would like Lockstock in general. Well, I think
0: I, I think you have to set aside the vigilanteism because that doesn't exist in Lockstock. So I went for more of style. How does this mo- movie present itself? How does it do its storytelling? You know, with with the jumping back and forth like you mentioned, that's very much in the realm of... Snatch and Lockstock, where you're not necessarily maybe flashing back, but you're definitely intercutting and intersplicing so many different stories with different characters. that are happening from all different angles. And I think that's where it starts to feel similar to me. And and of course the early Guy Ritchie movies didn't seem to have big budgets either. So they have that kind of low budget feel to them. So it's more about the humor, the feel, the style. You know, it's one of them's more heist versus vigilante kind of thing, or not even heist, but um crime crime comedy kind of thing. So it was all those things. I, I set aside the vigilantism because, yeah, usually when you get that, like you said, you get yourself boxed into some serious assassin, you know, take a take myself super seriously kind of movie.
1: The the one that I had uh, that I wrote down here that I didn't mention that actually, as you were talking, feels like a better comparison than obviously the one that I gave uh, was Smoking Aces. Smoking yeah, Aces, if you will. Um, mm hmm. It just it's kind of that not so serious, but assassins. It feels more like a Guy Ritchie movie actually than it does like Boondock Saints. But um, I think you would like Smoke and Aces if you like Boondock Saints. Yeah,
0: I agree with that. That was one of them on my short list too. Uh, so I, I I actually do
1: think that that's better than Man on Fire. I just haven't seen. Well, it's not better than Man on Fire, but no, a better comparison. I just yes. haven't seen Smoking Aces in so long that I didn't, I didn't feel confident throwing that out there because I don't remember a lot of it. Right.
0: Yeah, it's probably worth a revisit too because I'm not sure how it would hold up. Just like this one. Is Jeremy
1: Piven in that? I feel like Jeremy Piven's in that.
0: You know, I always get that confused because I, I think of the. Um, Box art, and I feel like I always get Smoking Aces and Suicide Kings <laughs> mixed up in my head when I think of their box art for some reason. Um, no, and I have is. no idea why. Yes, he is? He is. okay.
1: Yep. Yeah, su- well, Suicide Kings is just uh, him sitting there in a chair.
0: Yeah, I, I, and as soon as I said Suicide Kings, I didn't think that was it either. There's another one where I'm picturing the cover art, and it's, yeah, can't get to it. <laughs> All mm-hmm. right. Well, I think that's it for Boondock Saints yeah
1: we're in all right where can everybody find you on twitter carson at carson Graff, g-r-a-f-f as in frank frank (laughs) you can find (laughs) me
0: at at two views garrett g-a-r-r-e-t-t you can find the show on twitter facebook and instagram at at two views movies you can email us at two views movies at gmail.com And last but not least, don't forget to subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Spotify, basically anywhere you listen to the show, you should be able to subscribe to us. We will be back next week with, I'm not sure what the order that's happening, but we will have a two four next week we're going to be doing lion king and once upon a time in hollywood i just don't know in which order those will be released but you'll be getting both of those from
1: us to, to round out july it's a good month in july yep and then we get to go hobbs and Shaw to start august <laughs> you 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 got some you got some uh, fast and furious to catch up
0: on i know all like all seven no all eight i think a lot of them are on netflix so that that's what maybe i'll be doing while i'm uh on vacation <laughs> sounds like a perfect vacation <laughs> exactly All right, we will catch you next time.
1: What should we do next? Something good? Something bad? Bit of both? Bit of both!